What we're going to talk about this morning is that there are times in every believer's life when God, in in great love, great wisdom, great compassion, God calls us to sacrifice something that's precious to us. Every follower of Jesus will have times like this where God, out of his love for us, out of his goodness, will call us to lay something down that's precious. That's what happened to Ruth in the Old Testament. Remember the story, God called her to sacrifice to lay down her country land, her home, or her, her people in Moab, and leave and go with Ruth back to Israel. So it happened to Ruth in the Old Testament. It happened to Simon and Andrew in the New Testament, where Jesus called them to leave the, the fishing boat. They were fishermen, to leave their father and to go and follow Jesus. It happens to us like when a loved one dies, a parent or a, a spouse or a child or a grandparent. In those times, God is simply calling us to to surrender into his hands, that loved one who's been precious to us. This can happen in regard to jobs. There's times where God will call us to leave a job or to leave a career, maybe for the sake of more time with family or children, or maybe for the sake of ministry. And that involves surrendering, sacrificing something that's been precious to us to the Lord. So every follower of Christ will have times, numerous times in our lives, where God in great love, in great mercy, calls us to lay something down, to surrender something that's been precious. Let me tell you how Henry Martin experienced this. You're wondering, who is Henry Martin? He lived, uh, he was born in England, 1781, graduated from university with honors in mathematics, and then God called him to become a missionary to India to bring the good news to the people in India. So all those from India, praise the Lord for Henry Martin. He decided to go. Now, he spent a few months preparing. And during those months of preparation, he met Lydia. Lydia captured his heart. He just fell completely in love with Lydia, wanted to marry Lydia. Lydia loved the Lord, but Lydia did not believe she was called to go to India. And so Henry Martin had to wrestle about this with the Lord in prayer. And he prayed and prayed, and he knew God was calling him to India. And so he surrendered his love for Lydia. He surrendered the prospects of marrying her, and he left for India. He never ended up getting married. But while in India, he translated the whole New Testament into Hindi, into Persian, and into Arabic, so that for the first time, millions of people had access to the New Testament in their own languages. But that's just an example. All of us will have times where God, in His love and His mercy, will call us to sacrifice something, surrender something, lay down something that is precious to us. Some of you have already had that happen in your past. You can think, oh, that's right. That's what was going on five years ago or 10 years ago or one year ago. Others of you are going through that right now. You're thinking, that's happening right now. I'm wrestling with that as we're here this morning. And all of us who are followers of Jesus will experience that in the future. And when that happens, when God calls us to sacrifice, surrender something to him, it can be excruciatingly painful, very difficult. And 
I think one of the reasons God gave us Genesis chapter 22 is to strengthen us for those times when God calls us to surrender something to him. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 22 and see what we learn there. Now, before we dig into the passage, let me set the stage for what's happening in this chapter. Let's start with this question. Why was Isaac so precious to Abraham? Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's son. Why was Isaac so precious? And there's at least two reasons that we've seen in the chapters. We're going through a series on the life of Abraham. We're coming towards the end of it now, but we've seen at least two reasons why Isaac was so precious to Abraham. One reason was because Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah after years of waiting. You remember the story? Way back in Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham that they would have a child, and Sarah had never been able to get pregnant. So back in chapter 12, God promises you and Sarah having a child, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. They waited for decades. And finally, when this is amazing, when Sarah was in her 90s, and Abraham was 100 years old, honey, I'm pregnant, okay? <laughs> they were pregnant, and Sarah gave birth to a little baby boy, Isaac, and oh, they loved Isaac, as only parents can love their children. Jan and I were with our two adult children, Brad, who's 28, and Anna, who's 31, and we love our kids, and you parents you love your kids, and Abraham loved Isaac. That's one reason. But there's a second reason why Isaac was so precious to Abraham, and that's because God had promised to bring salvation to the world through one of Isaac's offspring. Now you can see that in Genesis 17, 19. Look at what we read there. God said to Abraham, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And if you read more places where this is explained, what God is promising is through one of Isaac's offspring, I'm going to bring salvation to People groups, all the ethnic groups of the world, people from every nation, tongue, and tribe will come to salvation, forgiveness through one of Isaac's offspring. And of course, we know who that offspring is, Jesus Christ, born in the line of Isaac. So God has promised to bring salvation to the world through Isaac, and that's the second reason why Isaac was so precious to Abraham, because it's through Isaac that the Messiah is going to be born and salvation will be given to the whole world. So those are at least two reasons why in Abraham's heart he loved Isaac. This is his long-awaited son. For decades they've waited, and it's through Isaac's offspring that salvation is going to come to the world. Now, when we think about those two reasons, that makes us absolutely shocked at what God calls Abraham to do. What does God called Abraham to do. Start with verses 1 and 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He, God, said, take your son, 
your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, this would have been a complete shock to Abraham. After giving Abraham Isaac, and after promising to save people from every nation, every ethnic group through Isaac, now God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, to kill Isaac and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And the author of this chapter, Moses, knows this is going to shock us too, which maybe is why in verse 1 he lets us know that God is just testing Abraham. That helps us keep reading. But Abraham didn't know that. All that Abraham heard was, go and sacrifice Isaac. And this would have been heartbreakingly painful for him. And that's emphasized in what God says in verse 2, because this involves Abraham's son, his only son, whom Abraham loves. And so see, this is one of those times when God, in wisdom and love and mercy, calls his people to sacrifice, surrender something precious. And what we're going to see in this chapter is that Abraham obeys God. But what I want to focus on is how. How does Abraham obey God? What helped him through the pain and the heartbreak and the difficulty of that? And in verses 3 through 12, I see three answers for how did Abraham obey. Three answers. And the first is that Abraham obeyed by trusting God's promises. Look at verses 3 through 5. This is amazing what we read here. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, this was a three days journey, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, the two young men he brought in addition to Isaac, he said to these two young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now don't miss what Abraham just said in verse 5. He said that both he and Isaac would be coming back. Did you catch that? Read verse 5 again. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, Isaac, I and Isaac will go over there and I and the boy, Isaac, will worship and I and the boy, Isaac, will come again to you. Now, in case you grammar police are wondering, okay, each of those verbs are a plural verb. Go over there, worship, come again. Abraham is saying that both he and Isaac will go, he and Isaac will worship, and he and Isaac will come back. Now, how can Abraham say that? When God has called him to sacrifice Isaac, it's because Abraham knows that if he sacrifices Isaac, God will raise him from the dead. How does he know that? It's because God has promised 
through one of Isaac's offspring, I'm going to bring salvation to all the peoples of the earth. Isaac hasn't had any offspring yet. Isaac isn't married. No children yet. So, but God had promised through one of Isaac's offspring, I'm going to bring salvation to the entire world. And so Abraham knew that, well, if Isaac gets sacrificed, he's going to rise from the dead because he still is going to have offspring through whom the Messiah is going to be born. Do you see that? And so it's by trusting God's promise of the Messiah through Isaac that Abraham was able to obey. Now, to help you see that that's exactly what is going on here, look at Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. Book of Hebrews, it's up here on the screen, you don't need to turn there. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, Abraham did receive him back. So the way that Abraham, or one way that Abraham was able to obey God and make this sacrifice, lay down this surrender, surrender Isaac to the Lord, was by trusting God's promise. God has said he's going to bring the Messiah through Isaac's offspring. Isaac has no offspring yet. If I sacrifice Isaac, God's going to raise him from the dead. Young men, we're coming back. Isaac and I are coming back because he knew God would be faithful to his promise. Now, that's what will help us when we are called to surrender something and sacrifice something. It's trusting God's promise. Now, in Abraham's case, that meant God would give back what Abraham surrendered, right? He was going to sacrifice Isaac. He thought God was going to raise him from the dead. That's not what it always means, though, in our cases. Take Ruth, for example. She said goodbye to her country, and she said goodbye to her people, and went to Israel with Naomi and never came back to her people or her country. And Henry Martin, like I said, surrendered his love for Lydia. Never ended up marrying Lydia or ended up marrying anyone. Okay? But God does promise all through his word that he will comfort us with his presence. And that he will give us so much joy in his nearness, in beholding his glory, in worshiping him, in knowing him, he will give us so much joy that it will far more than make up for whatever we've surrendered to the Lord. Far more than make up for that. That's his promise. And so we can trust his promise, and that will help us to obey. That's the first way that Abraham obeyed. Second, Abraham obeyed by trusting that God would provide everything he needed. Look at verses 6 through 8. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. 
So Abraham trusted that God would provide whatever he needed. And we know this is a main point of this passage because look at verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. He named that place where he was. God will provide. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So Abraham calls this place, the Lord will provide, which in the Hebrew is Jehovah Jireh. You've heard that phrase? One of the names of God. This is where it comes from. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Abraham trusted that God would provide everything that was needed, and that's why he could surrender his precious Isaac to the Lord. And that's what will help us when God calls us to surrender something. Some of you are right now being called to surrender something precious to you, to the Lord. And at this time, you can wonder, how are we going to endure the sorrow of this, the, the sense of loss? How are we going to make decisions? How are we going to have strength to this? How are we going to deal with the sense of emptiness? But you can be absolutely confident that God will provide for you personally. He will come to you and give you everything that you need as you are in the process of laying down before him something that's precious to you. God is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide for you. You can bank on it. That's the second way. Abraham was able to obey. Third way, he obeyed by fearing God. Look at verses 9 through 12. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. What enabled Abraham to obey third is that he feared God. Now, what does that mean to fear God? Usually, when we fear something, we pull back from it, right? Ah, right? If, so, if you fear something, you're running the other way. That's usually what happens when we fear something. But that's not what we see when it comes to fearing God. Look at Deuteronomy 13, verse 4. Here's what Moses writes. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him. There it is. Fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Hold fast to him. So notice fearing God doesn't make us run from him. It causes us to hold fast to him. Rightly understanding the fear of the Lord means you're moving towards Him. You want Him. You're clinging to Him. Okay, so what kind of fear? How, how is fearing God going to make you move towards Him? See if this makes sense to you. Here's, here's what I thought of, and it, it seemed to fit the passage, and it seems to fit the Scriptures to me. When, when we see God in His absolute power, and just 
sheer reality and sovereignty and majesty and godness where we know that the whole universe is here only because of him and for him. He is what everything is about. Your entire destiny is in his hands. When you see God in his being, you see how disastrous it would be to disobey him, rebel against him, and turn away from him. You see how disastrous that would be, and you you see how wonderful it would be to know him, to be loved by him, to fellowship with him. And so when you see God in his immensity, you see how disastrous it would be to turn away from him and not obey him, and how wonderful it would be to draw close to him, to fellowship with him, which is in the path of obedience. And so fearing God, saying, whoa, God, you are amazing. I'm going to draw near to you. See, and that's what would have helped Abraham to obey God. He saw God in his glory and majesty and sovereignty and immensity. He saw how big God was, how powerful God was. And he realized it would be disastrous if I turned my back on God, even for the sake of Isaac. But how wonderful if I can know God and fellowship with God and God will provide. I can trust God's goodness. I can trust God's mercy. I'm going to draw near to God in the path of obedience and sacrifice Isaac. And see, that's what will help us as well. You who have been called to surrender something before the Lord, to sacrifice something before the Lord, take time to just stop and and see how big God is, how good God is, how loving God is, how sovereign and powerful and wise and compassionate God is. And that will make you tremble at the thought of turning away from God and not obeying Him when He calls you to surrender something. And it will stir you to see how wonderful how beautiful it would be to know God, to fellowship with Him, to be in His presence in the path of obedience. And that's how fearing God draws you close to God. That's what Abraham did. That's what helped him to obey, and that's what will help you to obey. So in this passage, there's three ways that Abraham obeyed. He trusted God's promises, first of all. He trusted that God would provide everything he needed, secondly. And he feared God, third. That will help you obey. Now, there's more in this passage, though. Moses wants to tell us what God did in response to Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac. And Moses mentions two things. First, God did provide all that Abraham needed. Verses 13 and 14. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So God provided the burnt offering that was needed. God had a ram get tangled up in the underbrush there. Abraham saw that, went and disentangled the ram and offered the ram in the place of Isaac as a burnt offering. So God provided what was needed. And listen, God will do the exact same thing for you. As you already said, when you sacrifice, when you surrender whatever God calls you to sacrifice and surrender, God will provide 
everything that you need. Let me tell you one way God did this for Henry Martin. Remember Henry Martin called to leave Lydia. We loved the prospect of marriage to go to India as a missionary bringing the gospel. God provided everything Henry Martin needed. A couple of days after the boat left the docks in England and he was moving away, here's what he wrote in his journal God did for him. He says, In prayer, I soon launched sweetly into eternity and found joy unspeakable in thinking of my future rest in heaven and of the boundless love and joy I should forever taste in Christ's beloved presence. So he was taking some time to pray. And as he prayed, God just opened the heavens to him, poured out his nearness, gave him joy unspeakable, as he says, in thinking of his future rest in heaven and the boundless love and joy he would forever taste in Christ's beloved presence. He says, I found no difficulty in thinking about heaven, and by God's grace, I actually tasted of its joys. So was Henry Martin on the boat just full of emptiness all the way to India? No. God poured his grace upon him, poured his love upon him, poured his joy out upon him. Henry was filled. God provided everything Henry Martin needed. God provided everything Abraham needed. God will provide everything that you need when he calls you to surrender or sacrifice something precious. Second thing that God does, he rewards Abraham, verses 15 through 19. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's the promise of salvation. Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba now, I didn't include verses 20 to 24, but if you want to read those this afternoon, what we see there is that God also is working to provide a wife for Isaac, namely Rebekah. Check out those verses. That's also part of the reward. I'm going to give you, Abraham, I'm going to give your son a wife. But look at the reward that God promises here. Abraham had been willing to surrender something precious to God, and God lavished reward upon him. And when you are willing to sacrifice something precious to God, he will lavish reward upon you. Now, he will not reward us in the exact same way he rewarded Abraham. You know, all these promises here, those were for Abraham. Okay, Abraham had a unique position in salvation history. But he will give you the best gift there is, which is more heartfulness, more deep experience of his love, of his nearness. That's the best gift because there's no greater joy than God's 
presence. Psalm 1611, we love to quote it here. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forever. That's the best gift. God will give that to you. Now, let me give you an illustration of how this happened in the life of Johnny Erickson. How many have heard of Johnny Erickson? Okay, some of you have. This last week, or I don't have the exact dates, but 50 years ago, roughly, Johnny Erickson, a young teenage girl, dove into a lake in the U.S., hit the bottom, broke her neck, and became paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of her life. Hundreds of people have prayed for her. God has not chosen to heal her yet. We know he will for sure at heaven. We pray he will between now and heaven, but he has not chosen to heal her yet. Instead, God has been calling her to surrender to him her health, her mobility, her arms, her legs movement, the, the, the movement of her body. And it has been a battle for her. If you've read her books, she is a godly, amazing woman. Here's what she said in an article that was written this last week. I think I put it on our Facebook page, so check it out. You can read the whole article. It's worth it. And just to explain the article or the quote here, she has chronic pain, severe chronic pain, even though she's paralyzed from, I don't know, the sciatica or something. I don't know all the details. So she suffers with pain even though she's paralyzed. But listen to what she writes. The process is difficult, but I don't think you could find a happier follower of Jesus than me. Paralyzed from the neck down. I don't think you could find a happier follower of Jesus than me, Johnny Erickson says. The more my paralysis helps me get disentangled from sin, the more joy bubbles up from within. Powerful. I can't tell you how many nights I have lain in bed, unable to move, stiff with pain, and have whispered near tears, Oh, Jesus, I'm so happy, so very happy in you. God is rewarding Johnny Erickson. God rewarded Abraham. And God will, he will reward you. You can count on it. Now, there is one more question we have to ask from this passage. Why did God reward Abraham? Why? We have to ask this because we could walk away with a very wrong impression of how God operates. We could think that God rewards Abraham and us because our surrendering, our obedience earns reward from him, deserves reward from him. That is not what the Bible teaches. I mean, think about it like this. Even if you had a year of perfect obedience, okay, that wouldn't make up for the years of sin and imperfect obedience, right? Because God is just. Every sin must be punished. And not only would that not work, but none of us has a year of perfect obedience, right? This side of, in heaven we'll obey perfectly. This side of heaven, even our best moments of obedience are still tinged with impure motives. You know how, right? I know my heart, you know your heart, right? 
So if that's the truth of our lives, if even the best moments of obedience are tinged with sin, then God, then none of us deserve any reward. All we deserve is judgment from God. And yet God rewards us. How? The answer is in this passage. This is amazing. Think about it like this. Abraham could have just offered Isaac right there where they were when God first told him, right? But notice in verse 2, God tells Abraham to go to the land of Moriah to sacrifice Isaac. What's that about? And verse 4 shows us that Moriah is three days' journey. So Abraham, take Isaac, two servants, walk three days' journey to go. It's like, why? It's because of what Moriah is. Where is Moriah? Look at 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. In Abraham's time, Mount Moriah was just called Mount Moriah. But in the future, it would come to be called Jerusalem, the mountain of the Lord, where Jesus was crucified. So what's happening in this passage, this passage is is pointing the reader ahead, pointing ahead to the time 1,800 years in the future, 1,800 years ahead of Abraham's life, when Jesus would die on the cross, when God would be willing to sacrifice his son, his only son, who he loved when God would be willing to sacrifice Jesus for our sin. That's what this passage is pointing to. And that's why God can forgive us, save us, and reward us. See, Jesus lived a lifetime of perfect obedience. The only human being who's ever obeyed God flawlessly. Jesus, fully man and fully God, obeyed the Father perfectly a lifetime of perfect obedience. And Jesus then went to the cross and he was punished, not for any of his sin, he was perfect, but he was punished for our sin, in our place, for our sin. And when you put your trust in Jesus, when you turn from your sin and and trust Jesus Christ, you are joined to him. And his lifetime of perfect obedience becomes yours. And his death paying for sin becomes his death paying for your sin. You're joined to Jesus by faith alone. And that's why God can reward Abraham, because Abraham trusted God, was joined to Jesus, the Messiah. And that's why God can reward you and me. Because of Jesus' perfect obedience and his death paying for sin, God can mercifully reward our undeserving obedience. Listen, it's very important you get this. Because of Jesus' perfect obedience and his death on the cross, God can mercifully reward our undeserving obedience. It's not that we earn it. It's mercy, mercy, mercy. And remember, the cost that the Father went through to be able to reward us and save us, he sacrificed his son, his only son, whom he loved on Mount Moriah. Jerusalem. So, Grace Church, 
When God calls you to surrender something precious, or if God is right now calling you to surrender something precious, say yes. Yes. Because on account of Jesus, God will mercifully reward your undeserving obedience with more joy in him now and forever. So say yes and surrender. Let's pray together. Go ahead and stand up. Father, I ask for those especially right now who are being asked by you to surrender something, and they're struggling with that right now. I pray, Lord, that right now you'd bring your power upon them and that you would strengthen their faith and that they would see your love and your promises and your compassion and your joy. And Lord, let let there just be a strong yes rising up in their hearts, just like you did for Abraham. Lord, do that for them right now, I pray. I pray, Lord, for any here who in the past have been asked by you to surrender something and, and they haven't understood what was going on. I pray that what they've heard from Genesis 22 now would bring healing to their heart and peace to their heart and comfort to their heart about what they needed to surrender in the past. I pray, Lord, for all of us, Grace Church, as in the future there will be times when you call us to sacrifice to surrender something precious. Lord, I pray that this passage would resonate deep in our hearts and that we would be willing to say yes because we trust you. Your promise to provide, your promises to do everything that's needed, your promises of reward that we would trust you, Lord. So God, do a powerful work in us now. And and Lord, I just want to pray to anybody here who has not yet come to the place where they've put their trust in Jesus and been joined to Jesus and have Jesus' perfect obedience become their own and Jesus' death on the cross for sin become his death on the cross for their sin. Lord, now have them put their trust in Jesus, I pray. And then pour out your love upon them. Pour out your forgiveness upon them. Pour out your grace upon them, I pray. In Jesus' name, let's worship.